Compassion and focus are two of the most important characteristics to have in marketing and in running a company and in growing a business and in growing a brand, whether it's my brand as an author or a company or marketing for that company. And where does that come in and in the corporate world and in the marketing world and in the business world is having compassion for the end user. So I think having a good heart and having compassion for those people combined with the drive to succeed will give you a good avenue for learning about your customers. Tired of the same old marketing tactics? Yearning for results that truly matter? You're in the right place. Welcome to Marketing Reimagined, the podcast that boldly challenges traditional norms and ventures into the realms of innovative strategies. Each week, we dive deep, giving you actionable insights and refreshing perspectives to help your brand stand out in a crowded marketplace. If you're a marketing maverick ready to shatter the status quo and reimagine your marketing efforts, then you're in for a treat. Welcome to Marketing Reimagined, your home for transformation. Let's dive in. All right, lovely people, welcome back to another exciting episode of Marketing Reimagined, the podcast where we speak to interesting minds across the world of digital marketing. Today, we've got a guest whose accomplishments are nothing short of awe-inspiring. He's written, I think, seven or eight books, made several films, won two, award, won two film awards, excuse me, and even ghostwritten numerous others. He's also a very accomplished musician as well as a painter. Please welcome David Feldman to the show. David, how are you? I'm great, Carl. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got a very impressive list of accomplishments that span books to films to art, like we just mentioned in your intro. I'm curious if you can speak to how you balance all of these artistic pursuits and how they influence your writing and your marketing work. Sure. Well, for one thing, in the last few years, I've had a lot of health challenges. I'm not sure if you have that in your information there, but... Yeah, I'm a recover yeah. yeah, I'm a recovering addict. I've clean and sober 29 years. Congratulations. I have, thank you. I had depression many years ago that I needed to seek help for. I've had two hip replacements, intestinal resection. I had to wear a bag for a while. I had cancer last year. And during all that, I wrote eight books, made a few films, won a playwriting contest. And how do I do all that? If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. If you squeeze me, you get art. My answer is <laughs> I my answer is I had to do all that. I'm driven to create. I have to create. I wanted to be a writer when I was a child. And so that's what I do. That's beautiful, man. And I think it goes to show the level of character you've developed, you know, with all that you've had to sort of come up against and battle, all while continuing to dedicate yourself to your craft and your art. That's probably a lesson that anybody can take away. I mean, just talk about that adversity, you know, the initial shock of getting a diagnosis and then having a choice ultimately, either to be labeled by your diagnosis or to carry on as the artist that you are. How do you do that? Well, the initial shock is where it's at. The initial shock was, you know, I, I had a doctor talk. So first of all, I'm Jewish I, and I participate in my religion since I married someone who was also Jewish, I, I never did participate in my religion all my life. I was raised, I was not raised to believe in anything, 
And I believed in partying. That's what I did for a long time. I, I did a lot you of and partying both. and I got myself into some trouble. I was a, uh, an, uh, the other side of the tracks kind of guy. I was in trouble as a kid. I cut school. I didn't go to school very much. But where I got my education was reading. And that's how I coped with all sorts of things. I was also raised by activists. My parents were activists and, and we were taught to care about people who were less fortunate than us. We were taught to care about people whose society doesn't treat so well. We were also taught to follow our dreams. My father was a jazz musician who also taught music in high school in high schools around the New York area. And through all of that, I think I developed some sense of character, some connection to something spiritual in some way, shape or form, which has varied throughout my life. Certainly in getting clean and sober, I had to come to believe in something that's part of the deal. You know, when you stop using drugs and alcohol, you are taught to believe in something that you get a lot of options in terms of what that is. So when I was told by a doctor, you have cancer, I'll talk to you after the Jewish holiday. Bye. That's, that was the call I got. And I just sat in my car stunned. And then I set about doing something about it. While I was still, I got the call while I was in my car. I was going to a gig. I play music in a lot of different venues, but, but quite a lot of it is for seniors, many of whom have dementia. And I love doing that. So I was on my way to a gig when I got that call. And I sat in my car. I was in a parking lot, actually, getting ready to go to my gig. And I opened up my phone. And I downloaded a whole bunch of books about cancer right away. First thing I did. And I read, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And this was two years ago, but a year and a half ago. And I immediately got a bunch of books and started reading. And what I learned, first of all, was go to a major cancer hospital. I live in New York and I went to Sloan Kettering immediately. I was given a diagnosis and was told that my cancer was unfavorable and that I needed to treat it. I couldn't watch and wait. And what I learned when I went to Sloan Kettering was that my cancer actually was favorable, not unfavorable. And while I did need to treat it, I had a very good chance of being fine. And so what I did was I armed myself with information and that's what I do with, with every part of my life. I also live my dreams. You know, I wanted to be an author since I was a child and I read John Steinbeck and I read science fiction. I read Ray Bradbury, two very different authors whose styles I love. And I set about doing the things that I dream of doing. And, you know, because you never know when you're going to drop dead. Right. And I've come close right. a bunch of times in the last few years. So I thought, well, if, well, if I only have a little bit of time left, I'm going to get going on this stuff. Uh, I'd say you're a very intelligent man for doing so. I think that it's ultimately not about the quantity of years versus quality of years. And so yeah, you being an individual right. that is willing to grasp the dreams by the horn, no matter how big or daunting they may seem and go after them, probably really you helps bet. you live a more qualitative life. And let's talk a little bit about some of the books you wrote. So you had that Dora Ellison mystery series. And it, That's right. it seems like a number of the books really tackle social issues, I guess you That's could right. say in a very unique right. way. And that's a big thing for a lot of people that we help. A lot of brands, a lot of companies are trying to figure out how do they take a stance on a social issue because they're everywhere, right? And I think consumers really want to know what these brands and what these companies stand for before putting their dollars toward them. So 
Tell us a little bit more about some of those inspirational series. Like what inspired you to talk about social issues and how do you incorporate those themes into your storytelling? Well, that's a great question. First of all, Dora herself grew up amidst a social issue. She grew up, grew up around abuse. Her father, she witnessed as a little child, her father beating up her mother and she tried to do something about it, but she was six years old and she couldn't do anything about it, but she tried. And so she has a very deep well of rage and it's buried. She's a sweet woman. She's a big woman. She doesn't look like a, a typical, you know, bikini wearing heroine on a TV show. She's a big girl her, in book one. She starts off as a garbage collector. And so that made her very strong. She lifts these garbage cans and flips them into the garbage truck. And that made her very strong. And she's in love with another woman who's a police lieutenant. And the police lieutenant investigates a crime and something happens to her. And so Dora jumps in and becomes a private investigator to do something about what happened to her lover. Why am I writing about lesbian women? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. They show up in my mind and they, they're they running the show. They tell me to write about them. So first of all, I have this woman who, you know, comes from a background of violence and she witnesses in her day-to-day life, she runs into bullies. In every book, early in the book, she runs into a bully and she teaches the bully a lesson. In book one, it's a big dude who's online at the supermarket and he's bullying a kid on the 10 items or less line. The kid has 10 items or less. And this big dude has 15 items. And the kid says, hey, maybe you should be over there. And he starts to push this kid around. And Dora, well, she reaches under the counter and she does something about it. She grabs the guy by, by the privates and she does something about it. She takes care of the guy and the guy says, never mind, and backs off. And she does that early in every book. So bullies is a big issue and they're a bully. We see, you know, we see bullies all over the place. We see bullies in the business world where, you know, I was a small businessman for a long time. I still own a marketing company, eFace Media, that runs itself basically. But we see big companies bully small companies. We see all sorts of things, whatever your background in politics or whatever your political views may be. We see bullying in politics and in the news all the time. So I like talking about bullies. Dora eventually in one of the books runs into someone who's bullying his dog. He's kicking his dog. She beats the guy up and she takes the dog and now she's got a dog. And I love dogs, by the way. So, um, so bullying is an issue. We have, you know, a lesbian main character. And by the way, for anyone who would question how I can write about Someone who's very different from me, a young woman, a young female who happens to be lesbian. I write about people. So, you know, I have people who are a large group of people in book two who are people of color. They're people, they're human beings. I know what it's like to be bullied because of my background. When I was five years old, a bunch of 16 year old teenagers came over to me and said, excuse me, what's your name? And I said, Dave. And they said, well, little Davey, are you Jewish? And I said, yes. And they said, that's very bad. You need to go back in your house and don't come out until you're not Jewish anymore. Now, that might sound amusing to some people, but it was terrifying to a five-year-old. I went back in my house and I didn't go to school. So that kind of stuff, you know, it really can affect us on a deep level. 
you know, and whether we're business people, whether we're in the corporate world, I think that we're driven by our hearts, you know, and these things affect our hearts. I have gender issues is at the core of one book. People with special needs are at the core of another book. I have a niece, my brother's daughter, who is 24 years old. She cannot walk. She cannot speak. And she'll never be able to because she cannot see to her needs in the bathroom. And yet she's the happiest person I ever met. She's never hurt anybody. And she can laugh literally for four hours. So I have someone who has special needs is murdered early in book five. Okay. So these issues all play into the books because someone with the issue is the target of a murder usually. Right, right. No, I think as I listen to you talk about these issues, you know, many of them that you have probably not experienced yourself, at the core of what I'm hearing you say is there is a level of empathy, right? To be able to sort of exactly uh, put pen to paper or, you know, finger to keystroke and write these stories from the perspective of an individual that is experiencing those things. And, you know, I tell all of our clients that are trying to figure out how to better communicate, how to better engage, they need to be empathetic, right? That's right. And, and a lot of empathy can come from some sort of a social issue or social cause. So can you speak to that specifically? You know, why do you think it's important for marketers to address social issues in their work? Because I, I think you would agree that that'd be important. And how can they do so in a way that is more authentic and effective? Sure. Well, I have been running a marketing company since 1989. And before that, I did work for Fortune 100 companies, major, major companies. I worked for ad, I worked for the ad industry, creating ads for people like Revlon and BMW. The uh, original Mad Men. Yes, yes. And actually, it was a lot like that. People going out for liquid lunches and stuff. It was, it was a lot like yeah. that TV show. But yeah. what empathy has to do with it, first of all, I think compassion and focus are two of the most important characteristics to have in marketing and in running a company and in growing a business and in growing a brand, whether it's my brand as an author or a company or marketing for that company. And where does that come in and in the corporate world and in the marketing world and in the business world is having compassion for the end user. Okay, the driver of the BMW, the, the woman or man, as the case may be, who might be using Revlon makeup, you know, looking at where they're coming from. And I suppose in the corporate world, you do surveys and you do focus groups to learn where your customers are coming from. But most important, even when you have that information, you could mess up and you could, you know, not take it to heart. So I think having a good heart and having compassion for those people combined with the drive to succeed will give you a good avenue for, for learning about your customers. And then you got to decide what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as a ghostwriter, you've written a number of pieces, you know, anywhere from the range of romance novels to fishing books. Right. So yes, I'm curious how you've been able to earn unearth your voice and your tone and your writing style in, in a manner that can fit all these different genres, but still be authentic. You know, that's one of the things that we often hear from clients that they struggle with is how do I find my voice? and How do I own it and communicate in a manner that is aligned with who I really am? So how do you manage that jumping from 
all these different spaces. <laughs> I think there's sure. probably what some I'd golden say to, nuggets there. What I would say to those people and to anyone is you've already got your voice. Your voice is in there and we got to bring it out. I love to write. I believe it's what I'm best at. And when people come to me, you know, a gentleman came to me eight years ago and said, someone told me to give you a call. So we, you know, he was a friend of mine. I want to write a fishing book. Well, he loves fishing and he is a serious fisherman. And so we set about writing the book and I don't inhabit any voice other than my own. But if I put my heart into what they do, whether it's this gentleman whose name is Dominic, who wrote a fishing book with my help, a couple who wanted to write a romance novel, putting themselves in the novel about having a love story in a romantic getaway overseas, whether it was a book about Muslims in the American military, which I worked on for a major, major ghostwriting company as a contracting ghostwriter. I put my heart into what they do and I care about what they do as if it's what I want to do. And I, if I look at it that way, I'm going to drive the train as best I can. It's real. you know what it really comes down to? I, I don't know if this would be the right way to talk about it, but to me, it's all about love. If I make myself love what you do, I can help you. <laughs> if only more people could actually do that. I don't know how you practically do that if you're not accustomed to thinking about others, you know, first and foremost before yourself. Well, if I'm being paid to do something, first of all, and I accept the job, it behooves me to ask enough questions that I can kind of become you in my heart. I've done, you know, when I was working on my company more actively on a day-to-day -day basis, I did a lot of branding and I branded a walk-in bathtub company, a something called the Better Baseboard Cover. I developed the brands based on what the product does. And again, putting myself in the driver's seat of if I... Me, I'm a consumer and I need to buy baseboards. You know, the, the baseboards for baseboard board heating all look kind of the same. They're all made by a company whose name I think is Slant Fin, and, and their product is perfectly fine, but you see them everywhere and they have this kind of fin that goes down. And, and so someone hired me to market a product that is plastic, is beautiful. You can have it cover your baseboard in the bathroom so that little boys who miss the bowl aren't going to rust that metal, you know, that metal baseboard cover. So, you know, I thought about that and how wonderful that is. And at the time I had little kids. And so we branded the better baseboard cover and eventually it did so well that it was bought out by, I think Ace Hardware and now it's marketed as their own product. And, and I lost the job because the, the product did so well that it was the whole company was bought out by someone else, but that was great. It was a win, you know, and I was paid for my work. So that's success. I mean, I, I think the goal here, you know, even us on the agency side that help clients with branding and with storytelling and content, like the goal is to not have them be dependent on us forever. It's the old adage of, you know, teaching a man to fish. So the way we that's work right. as an agency is, is 
we are we are trying to get to some sort of Valhalla or some sort of North Star to where the client can leave the nest and carry on without us because they have some of these intangibles around storytelling down pat, you know, relative to how they feel they need to communicate in the marketplace. And, you make and a I, very I kinda want to talk about that. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say you make a very good point about the yeah. connection between storytelling and marketing. You know, sure. we're telling the story of the product and the customer in a concise, direct way that people can link to and fall in love with. I'm sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. Yeah, no, that's very well said. So speaking of eFace Media, so that's your marketing company, right? You've, you've been around yes. since, I think, 89. So you've yes. kind of been in the world of marketing for three decades now, not to date, you know, not to over, overdate yourself for the listeners out there. That's okay. um, but obviously, you know, the world of marketing, creative branding, all of that, it's changed a lot over time. And I'm curious, you know, what you feel some of the most effective strategies for companies or for marketers are today relative to how they've evolved over time, you know, for anyone that's looking to stand out in the digital ecosystem, which we all know is harder than ever because <laughs> there's so many different platforms and all the things. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, I think that the heart of marketing has not changed. I think, you know, and I said it before, not to be repetitive, but connecting the consumer's need and the genuine desire of the, of the consumer to live a better life by having a need addressed and questions answered by a product and having the marketing folks of the product at the company develop a story and develop, well, first of all, they've got to develop a product around the need. And once they do that, crafting a story that addresses the consumer's need effectively is really what it's all about. What has changed? I don't think that's changed. I think that's been the same since before Mad Men days. I think that's been the same since, you know, the first cars or whatever the first products that were marketed were. But what's changed is the vehicles, you know, the, the information that gets the story into the hands of the right people. I'm not as connected to that as I used to be because it's not what I do on a day-to-day -day basis anymore. You know, some things that I've done for clients in recent years, I really started to let go of that and to focus more on writing my books around the time, around 2020, around when COVID hit, I stepped of started to step away from the day-to-day -day marketing. But at that time, I was doing a lot of Facebook ads because Facebook is very good at identifying an audience based on a combination of demographic factors. You can really target, I and mean, they put a lot of money into their advertising system and they made it very available and affordable to small businesses. My business, my clients tended to be, have always tended to be small businesses run by very tenacious people, most of them men, but not all men, not that that matters. But it takes a very tenacious individual to run a successful small business nowadays. And what we were able to do was identify the best potential customers by a combination of age, interests, location, you know, demographic factors. For instance, I had a client who taught 
kids in high school to pass the regents in the New York metropolitan area. So we identified mostly parents, but kids also, parents of kids in, high, in the high school age in a particular borough of New York City. And then we had to drill down further, whether we were looking at Catholic schools or public schools and so forth. And we were able to do that with Facebook's advertising system. And it worked very well. The problem is COVID destroyed the regions. There's no more regions tests in, in New York City anymore. There might be going forward, but you know that was the end of their business. And in fact, they had already hired me. We already had a contract when COVID hit. And they came to me and they said, Dave, listen, we have a contract. We signed a contract with you, but we have no more business. Our business model has been destroyed by COVID. Could you please, please let us out of our contract? And I said, of course. Yes, of course. I'm not going to take your money for something that you can't do anymore. And so I think having compassion at every level, whether it's for your customer, for the client, for the end user, is really important. Even though some people, some real men might say, ah, compassion, you know, it's no good. But it is. It's very important on every level. I, even, you know, in a ma I'm married forever. I'm married for 36 years. And compassion is a big part of that. And I'm a father. And compassion yeah. is a big part of that. Yeah, I would imagine. No, very well said. As we come to a close here, David, I'm curious, you know, you're obviously a world-renowned writer. You've done a lot in that space. And I can imagine that you get there without understanding the proper elements of storytelling and how to use story effectively, right? To, to really demonstrate that compassion that you speak of. So why don't you just leave the listeners a little bit as much as you're willing to share around your process around crafting story. I think that'll really help a lot of people that are really clear on who within the market they're serving, where they're located, and are now trying to figure out, you know, the creative element and the narrative that they wish to share sure. to bring people in. Sure. Thanks, Carl. I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to say very briefly a, a 10 second plug that if anyone is interested in my stories, they can look at David E. Feldman, the E is important.com. There's a David Feldman who writes a lot of other stuff. So, and he's, God bless him, he's great. But, but David E. Feldman.com, also on Amazon. All my books are on Amazon. So, yes, to answer your question, I think it's really important to look at other people who've been successful. I've read books on storytelling, I write via something called the three act structure starting with something that the great screenwriter Robert McKee calls the inciting incident. If you look at mystery, something big has to happen. It's usually the murder early in the book. And in marketing, something big has to happen. The customer or the client or the end user has to have a need. And you have to start with that. And from there, what I've done is I have read and read and read a lot of mysteries. Lee Child is probably my favorite writer, and he is a character who could be an uncle to Dora Ellison, a guy who doesn't take crap from anyone and who gives bullies. A lot of people are abused in his books, and they get the crap beat out of them, which I love. So I read and read and read and read. So I looked at the success stories, and I read books about craft. So I would say for anyone who's marketing, look at the end user, look at the need, and then look at what's been successful and maybe read a few books about craft and marketing and, and then go ride your bike or do something else because your subconscious will come up with the answer. You do a lot of thinking and you don't even realize it. So 
Fill your head with as much information you can, as you can, and then go for a walk. Go for a motorcycle. I ride motorcycles. Go for a motorcycle ride. Do something else, and the <laughs> ideas will show up. And have faith. Yeah, it'll happen. Yeah, I love that, David. That's that's very sage advice. I see your motorcycle helmet there behind you, so I can definitely tell you're yeah. akin yeah. with the road. And it, it actually reminds me of something I just heard from Matthew McConaughey in his book Green Lights. He was so eager for an, an acting gig and an opportunity when he was brand new to Hollywood that his mentor could just see the desperation, you know, spilling out of his pores. And that was his advice. His advice was go ride a motorcycle in Europe or wherever and, and allow that need to dissipate. When you come back, then you'll be ready because it's your very subconscious good. Yeah. Will, will do the work on you. So it's interesting you're bringing that up. Shut down your thinking. Thinking can be very dangerous and, you know, in the wrong hands. So I would say it's a good idea. Get your information and then don't think. Riding a motorcycle, you can't think. You got to focus because it's, it's very dangerous otherwise. So yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> Beautiful, David. Well, we're going to have all of the places linked down below this episode where people can find the books, learn a little bit more about you, your website, and maybe what you've got coming up on the docket. But we appreciate the time. And with that, folks, go take a walk. Go ride a bike <laughs> after listening to this episode. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks a lot, David. And that wraps up another insightful episode of Marketing Reimagined. We hope you've been inspired and motivated to think differently about your marketing strategies. Remember, it's all about breaking barriers and challenging the norms. If you have a unique marketing strategy you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Join us next time for more eye-opening discussions thought-provoking insights, and above all, a fresh perspective on marketing. This is Marketing Reimagined, redefining the way you think about marketing. Until next time, keep reimagining.